0: A Deeper Look, exploring what works and what doesn't in development and the changes we can make together to turn ideas into action.
1: This season, the theme of A Deeper Look podcast is the shape of things to come, the trends and ideas that will shape the future of human development. Now, we decided on that theme back in 2019. And little did we know at the time that the world would become engulfed in a global pandemic that would have a profound impact on how human development work is carried out. I'm Patrick Fine, CEO of FHI 360, and this is a Deeper Look podcast. Today, we're going to explore distance education. We're at a point in time where the global pandemic has caused the shutdown of almost all schools in the world. It is the first time in human history that all education institutions have been closed at the same time. Over a billion children and youth and young adults are out of school. It's projected that in poor countries, up to 50% of the children who have left school because of the pandemic will never return. And in wealthier countries, children have moved almost exclusively to online learning or distance education. And the world is learning about both the opportunities and the challenges of distance education. I'm very happy to have Siddiqui Traore, the founder and executive director of Distance Education Africa, as my guest today. Siddiqui, welcome to A Deeper Look podcast.
0: Thank you very much for having me, Patrick. Uh, It's really an honor for me to to be uh, on your show, and I'm really excited to be talking to you about something which is really dear to my heart.
1: Well, we're excited to hear about your experience with distance learning. Now, you founded Distance Education Africa more than nine years ago, so you've been working on distance education for close to a decade. Now, distance education is the main means for educating these billion children who are out of school. Can you first tell us a little bit about yourself? about what led you to found distance education africa and then tell us how the pandemic is affecting the
0: work you do patrick actually is more than you know almost 20 years ago when i started working at the world bank I work on a project with the World Bank, with uh, uh, distance Education. We used to broadcast courses on TV to various African universities. That was a satellite broadcast, one-way video and two-way audio. So,
1: Siddiqui, let me ask you, were those for specific disciplines or was it a variety of courses? It was
0: a variety of undergraduate courses, math, physics, English, from various universities.
1: How many universities in Africa were participating?
0: At that time, I think we started about 20 and it started growing to 30. We started with Anglophone and then the French came. So sure. that's how I started. And then after that project, I created distance education for Africa. But what I realized is you know the traditional universities, cannot meet the demand of education in Africa. It's impossible. So I think distance education was a solution to helping traditional universities to meet some of the demand. So that's how we started. We started with English courses. I traveled to many countries in Africa to present to them how to use ebooks to teach English. So I went to about 10 universities presenting my project and i told them that you know we should move to ebooks because ebooks is really it's fun it's interactive it's uh, it's easier to learn i remember one professor showed me a storage room full of english books you know and some of them were so old and out of date and uh, mm-hmm. i told the professor why don't we move to the ebooks because it's more interactive so That's how we started. And then from there, we offer courses from Laval University in Canada, in French, for the French-speaking countries, and then cybersecurity and English and uh, journalism courses. But after all these courses from various universities in the U.S. and Canada, we finally started our mega project. It's called the Africa Scholarship Cohort. This project, Patrick, is our flagship. It's using a proven distance education model to create lasting economic impacts. So the Africa Scholarship Cohort is a partnership with the University of Virginia, the Darden Business School. It has two main objectives, Patrick. The main objective is to associate the beneficiaries with an innovative educational initiative by bringing top-tier education to Africa via modern technology. The specific objective, we wanted to expand access to high-quality secondary education in Africa. Another specific objective is to develop a network of engaged learners in Africa to train new generation of African leaders to be job creators and enter the global market. So we started with business courses. Patrick, I could tell you, Siden told us, uh, they reported that they have essential skill sets that are market-relevant, enhancing their problem-solving skills, job readiness, and employability. Our courses deal with professional development skills.
1: And are the courses offered through universities? Do the students have to be enrolled in an African university?
0: No. It's, you know, um, we use Coursera to offer the courses. So, We have students who have nothing to do with universities. We have banks, we have ministries, NGOs, we have unemployed, we have business, we have CEO, you name it. Uh, This project, we have students in 51 countries. We have over 7,000 scholarships in 51 countries. Patrick, it's the entire continent, it's so ambitious. That's
1: very impressive. Do the students pay a fee to take the course
0: or are the courses free? They don't pay anything. That's the beauty about it. So,
1: Siddiqui, let me ask you now that there's so much attention being placed on distance education, what do you see as the main challenges to distance education in Africa today?
0: I would mention three main challenges. I think the biggest challenge is connectivity, because in Africa, 82% of the people have no internet. The second challenge, is the device because it's really expensive to buy tablet or computer and even to ask teachers to buy those gadgets to use in the profession. is very difficult because some of the teachers are not paying very well. And the uh, third challenge is the lack of technological skills. I think that's very important because so many teachers don't have the skill to teach. So I think in terms of challenges in Africa, those are the three biggest challenges. What kind and of
1: devices do most of your students use? Telephones or iPads or computers? That,
0: that's, that's a great question. Most of the people who have stayed at home in Africa, Patrick, 89% don't have computers. Mm-hmm. And 82% have no internet. So it's really rough. But one of the beauty about our courses, you know, coming from the University of Virginia, uh, with a cell phone, they have the ability to download the course material on their cell phone and watch on offline. The, the uh, technological barrier on the ground where we work is really um, hard. But what has happened, Patrick, in this uh, pandemic, one point. 6 billion of learners are at home and it has affected 63 million primary and secondary teachers so in africa we have 269 million students stay at home everyone has been caught off guard right so the whole world have tried to find a way to solve that problem some people have used local medium like radio tv to try to solve the problem but some managed to use e-learning and cloud-based but You know, for me, this pandemic has led to really three main things, the quality, the access and equity. Those are three important aspects, you know, this pandemic has really brought to light. So let's
1: take each of those one by one. Let's start with equity. So how has the pandemic
0: affecting equity issues? Well, equity issue, I would say, even if you look at the U.S., for instance, people whose parents have means, they have resources. Their kids will go further because they could stay at home. They could work with their kids. So it's not equitable.
1: Let me ask you, Sidi in Africa, is the pandemic making the equity situation worse because you do have these disparities where, say, people in urban areas or the wealthier people, they're going to have computers, they're going to have internet, whereas people who are poorer or in rural areas are less likely to have that technology, as you mentioned earlier, they'll be left out. Are you seeing that in your work? Have you seen school systems there trying to move to a remote learning posture like they have in the US. So, in the US, all school districts offered distance education for three months. And now, most school systems will be offering a choice between remote learning and some in person learning. What are you seeing in Africa in terms of a response to the pandemic?
0: The thing is, you know, the challenge is some of the teachers we were not prepared to do distance learning. What I've seen in Africa is it caught the Ministry of Education off guard. It caught teachers off guard. Luckily, some of the countries are doing better than others. But in most countries, they have increased radio program because you see almost everyone has a radio. They have increased TV. So you could see uh, many countries have adopted TV programs
1: Let me ask you about that, Siddiqui. So everybody, or or almost everybody in Africa, every family in Africa has a cell phone. That's correct. And every family, virtually every family has a radio. I find it interesting that the reaction in Africa was to go back to radio education, which we were doing in the 1980s, instead of going to e-learning through cell phones, the kind of e-learning you've been talking about, they've gone back to interactive radio education. What do you think about that?
0: No, it's not everywhere, Patrick. Let me be clear, you know, it depends on the country. You know, in Kenya, the cell phone companies are working with the government to put everything online. So in some countries they are doing better, but for me, the radio and the TV, it's good for rural areas, but it's not interactive. That's why, you know, I mentioned three big things, the quality and, you know, the equity and access, because even radio, I wouldn't say that everyone has a radio. Some people may not have radio. So for me, the TV and radio for distance education, it solves some problem. But for me, The quality is not what I would really see as the best quality. Some cell phones are useless because, you know, they are not smartphones. Right. Not everyone has a smartphone. That's really one of the problems. You know, the the problem with internet, only 82% of people have internet. Cloud-based internet solution is really expensive. Radio and TV are basic elementary solution. It's better to do something than not do anything.
1: I uh, worked on interactive radio education and some TV education back in the 80s in Africa, and it was expensive. So the kind of distance education that you're doing through Distance Education in Africa, with those course curriculums already developed and delivered via, via cell phone or via iPad, that's cheaper than having to go back to studios and produce radio programs and then you know buy the airtime to transmit them over the airways. It strikes me that going back to TV and radio, it, I understand the point you're making, that in some places that may be the best solution that they have right now. But it seems like it's going to an old technology that is less efficient, lower quality and more expensive instead of looking forward to the new infrastructure that exists and exists throughout the continent
0: you're right you know if you look at you know now internet some people can buy what we call bundle of internet our students for instance if they don't have the gadget they don't have laptop they could go to a cyber uh, cyber coffee to download and to watch videos. So I would say some countries are doing better in terms of using the modern technology, even leapfrogging into exactly. the 21st century. You know. Have you, there, you heard
1: know. about any ministries of education starting to provide data packages to students or you know, providing airtime to students so that they can
0: afford to do remote learning? Yes, yes, I think even in Kenya, the government is trying to provide airtime to students, which is really good because in that case, you know, they would do uh, up to date modern you know, learning.
1: Have they started programs to train teachers to teach remotely?
0: We, this is one of the biggest challenge. COVID has exposed the weakness of some teachers. Some teachers are not willing to embrace technology, but they're going to be left behind you know, one of the biggest challenge is to train lecturers and students on all these distance uh, education technologies. I think that's that's one of the key.
1: What do you think the long-term impact of this experience is going to be in Africa? So for the first time, you have all kids out of school. You have countries, as you've been describing, trying different solutions. Do you think things will just go back to the way they were in the pre-pandemic days? Or do you think that this experience will influence the future of education in Africa?
0: Well, it's it's going to influence definitely. Things will change. If I look at the role of the teachers, the role of the student, the role of parents, it's going to change. The teachers will have more work. Because right now I teach online it's lots of work. So the teacher will facilitate student learning and create classroom environment that are productive in honing students' 21st century skills. They will have to help students to be technological savvy. So that's one of the roles of the teacher. For the student, I think they will have to be more independent and mm-hmm. students need to be globally aware and digital savvy. The parents definitely need to learn problem solving skills because they are thrown into this. We've seen so many living room change to a classroom all of a sudden. So the parents will have to learn something completely new in the future.
1: Siddiqui, that makes me think of all the effort we've put in over the years to try to increase parental involvement in their children's education. And now this situation, it forces the parent or some, some member of the family, maybe it's an older brother or older sister, to be involved in the students' learning. So that's interesting. And I like another insight that you just mentioned, which is this shift to online learning will require students to be more independent and to use and learn the problem-solving skills that also we have been trying to build into curriculums for 30 years now.
0: Definitely, you're right. But it makes
1: me worry a little that you might have, to go back to the equity issue, you might have a situation where those countries that are more capable in adapting remote technologies. And I'm thinking of a place like Senegal. They have good connectivity and they're forward leaning into technology. And they have been for 20 years. A country like that may burst ahead of a country that is not as oriented to technology, that has not invested in infrastructure, and that doesn't have the personnel in the ministries or in, in universities and other institutions to lead that change. So we could see this situation resulting in a kind of bigger digital divide as some countries move ahead and others
0: lag behind. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. Yes, Senegal has a good uh, internet infrastructure and they are working hard to you know move ahead. I think what the Ministry of Education in every country, at least in Africa, needs to do is understand that the world is going to be digitalized. So digital literacy is where we are going. You know, our courses, we've been able to scale it up to multiple communities in Africa through Mm -hmm. mobile computers. So we've been able to reach the unreachable. Because some of our courses, we have many students at even the, the Botswana prison system. We have lots of students there. We have students uh-huh. in, in banks, in Rwanda. We have students all over Africa. So this is the way to train people to get skills that are necessary to address some of the homegrown solutions to social, geopolitical and technological and financial problems in Africa. Because if you look at some of our courses we offer, like uh, cybersecurity, design thinking, business strategy, those are courses which help people. Project management is for everyone. Whether you're a doctor, engineer, a jobless, you need project management. Mm -hmm. So there are business courses, but some of the courses are not specifically for business only. So if they have the infrastructure, they could do the same thing to train more people To get skills, I agree with you. It's gonna be a divide. It seems like there's a
1: a kind of a irony here that on one hand the pandemic is likely to accelerate adoption of remote learning and uh, remote technologies in a way that can expand access and address some quality issues that you've talked about. Mm -hmm. So maybe access and quality and just adoption of new approaches to education will be accelerated by this extraordinary set of conditions that we are living through. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I fear that it's likely to increase inequity. Inequality will grow because as we've talked about, you have some countries that have invested in remote infrastructure. They're better positioned. And so you may see the digital divide grow. Siddiqui, I want to conclude our conversation by asking you a question that Mm -hmm. I've been asking all of the guests on A Deeper Look this year. When you look at where we are right now, we're in the midst of a pandemic. As you've said, it's changing everything. And you look to the future. Are you an optimist? Do you see that we will successfully adapt and overcome these challenges, or are you more of a pessimist with respect to how the pandemic and the conditions we're dealing with right now will affect educational opportunity in Africa?
0: Well, Patrick, thank you very much for this question. For me, there is no hesitation between being pessimistic and optimistic. I've been doing this job for so many years, passing all the hurdles, all the difficulties. I've never been discouraged in my life. For me, I've always been optimistic in my life, and uh, for me, it works because four or five years ago, if you know someone would have said, "Well, Sidiki, you know what you are doing now." just wait. In 2020, you will see the the result of what you're doing. It would have an impact. I think I am more optimistic than ever because something good is coming out of this staying at home because now people are focusing on new technology. They are focusing on new trends, you know, digital literacy, professional development, collaboration, all these things you know, will shape the future of education. So I am extremely optimistic that things going to be better, and we're going to continue to make an impact.
1: So, you know, Siddiqui, you share that optimism with most of the guests of a Deeper Look podcast, and I think that is a common characteristic of most of us who work in human development. And I think that we can say that distance education is going to be one of those trends that shapes the future of education and therefore the future of nations and of human development. Siddiqui, this is a fantastic conversation. Thank you so much for joining me today.
0: Thank you very much. I was really honored, Patrick. Thank you very much. Well, it's great
1: talking to you. And thanks to our listeners for joining us for this fascinating conversation about distance education and the role that it's going to play and how it's one of the trends that will shape the future and that is being accelerated by the extraordinary conditions that the pandemic has created. I invite listeners to send in their comments. I hope you're subscribing to the podcast. Share your thoughts and comments on this episode. What do you see as the pros and cons of the increased use of distance education and uh, please share this episode with others tune in next month to continue the conversation about what are the trends that will shape the future of human development thank you